Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. Welcome to everyone for our evening time together. We have, every now and then, we end up having a few little difficulties, and that's okay. So instead of singing together, which I guess we could, I could just break out into song, we could sing together. I think instead we'll continue with our study of the evening. And I'm going to ask you to turn to a couple of passages tonight. And I want to begin in Revelation chapter 3. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 3. Our theme for today is faithfulness. This morning we talked about <clears throat> the concept, we asked, or we made the statement, God will be there for you. Our definition of faithfulness that we are using today is be there. That's what it means to be faithful. Be there. God said He will be there for you. Tonight we're going to ask the second question that makes it more practical for you and me. Will you be there for God? I want to begin in Revelation 3. Listen to the words of God through the pen of John writing to a church named Sardis. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard and hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come on you as a thief. You will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And I will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." I want you to notice, by way of introduction to this idea, will you be there for God? God wrote to a church at Sardis, and He told them, I know that you have a reputation for being there. That's what people thought of them. You have a name that you are alive. You have a name that you're faithful. You appear to be there. But God knew that that was not the case. God said, in fact, you are dead. You're not there. But God goes on to say, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to wait on you. There's an opportunity for you to change. And even though he's looking at the church as a whole and he says, you're not there, you're dead. He says in verse 4 that there are some, even in a dead church, 
who have not failed, who have not corrupted their garments, they are still pure. I begin with this statement from God before we even talk about it to say this. As a church, if we're not there for God the way He wants us to be, He already knows. And He's giving us time to do better. And while the church may not be there, there will always be individuals who are there. But I'm saying God is waiting for us. So whatever we decide, will you be there for God? Will you be what God wants you to be? Will I be what God wants me to be? I always can know that there will be somebody who will be. And God will wait for me as long as I have breath in my life. So whatever we decide at the end, meaning, I'm not there for God, you can say, God will wait for me to be there. Because God Himself will always be there. In order to answer this question, I want us to do three questions within that one question. Will I be there for God? Here's question number one. Inside of that question, does God need me? Now that's an interesting question. Does God need me? One of the things that interests me about that question is the fact that I'm here and that you are here. We're here. And therefore, since we are here, there must be a reason for us to be here. It can't be chance. <clears throat> it can't be happenstance. It didn't just evolve. We are here purposefully. Does God need me? The psalmist wrote in Psalm 50, and starting at verse 10, his answer to that question. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. God owns everything. Now those of us who have been here for a while, remember our brother Ed. And Ed used to say all of the time about physical things. He would say, I don't need anything. My God owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns me. Everything's going to be fine. Yes, God owns it all. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. God knows every single one of them. Isn't that interesting? Jesus in His Sermon on the Mount would say that not one bird falls without God knowing about it. God knows each animal, each thing. God knows it all. And then look at verse 12. I love verse 12. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all its fullness. Does God need me? Well, God owns everything. He knows all of them. And if He did need anything, He wouldn't ask me. 
When I think of the word need, I think most of the time we intend to say essential to live. Now, I know some people get their needs and their wants all mixed up. I know that. It happened with my children, and it happens now with my grandchildren. Go to a store, and they say, I need a bag of chips. Well, you don't need it. Now, you may want it, but you don't need it. And yet, that's exactly what we think, because everything in our lives, we've developed something that sounds like this. If I want it, then I need it. Oh, that's a problem. If I want it, I need it. Well, that's a worldly attitude. There are a lot of things we can all want, but I don't need them. They're not essential for me living here. And there's nothing wrong with wanting things. But it is wrong to get our wants and our needs so mixed up that we become worldly people. So when I think of need, I'm thinking of essential for this life in the physical sense or essential for life in the spiritual sense. Does God need me? No. No, He really doesn't. He doesn't need me, but I know this. He wants me. God wants me. God wants you. The most prolific descriptor of relationship we see in Scripture is father to child. The family relationship is the descriptor that God uses most often about His relationship with you and me. God says, I am Father, you are my children, we are family. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8, God says, God is love. I said just a moment ago, this whole thing is interesting because it questions why we are here. Why is it that we are here? Because we are. And it didn't just happen by chance. Why are we here? I have come to believe, willing always to learn more and better, but I've come to believe that when God says, I am love, that we are here because of love. Love by definition, replicates itself. That's what love does. Let's ask it this way. Do a, does a married couple need children? You ever thought about that? Do they need children? I mean, if if the parents get, if a, if a couple gets hungry, they have a little child, they don't tell the child, I'm hungry, you need to find me something to eat. I don't need. If we're trying to make a house payment, you don't ask the child, you need to pay for the house. I don't need them. 
Why do parents have children? Is it because they need them to live? Well, certainly not. There are couples who don't ever have children, and that's okay too. Then why do we have children? Because love replicates itself. And when two people love each other, they not only want to replicate themselves in a child, but they also want to spread the love they have with each other to a life that they have created together. God loves us. He wants us. His love created us. That's why we're here. God doesn't need me, but God wants me. A second question in answering this big question is, do I need God? Well, I don't think anybody would deny it. Now, there are people who don't believe in God who will deny it. But those of us who are gathered here tonight in this online assembly, we pretty much understand that we need God. For instance, the psalmist in chapter 127 in verse 1, Except the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Except the Lord guard the city, the watchman rises, but in vain... We need God's protection. We may not realize it, we may not know it, but we need His protection. As a country, we protect ourselves militarily. But no matter if we have the finest, latest, and greatest weaponry available to mankind and the greatest military minds directing the greatest soldiers who have ever lived, if God says... Your nation is finished, then it's finished. We need God's protection. Number two, we need God's direction. The prophet Jeremiah, chapter 10, verse 23 Oh Lord, I know that it is not in man that walks to direct his own footsteps. There are a whole lot of plans that we can make that are not the proper ones. Uh, they're not the plans that we ought to be making. They're not the plans that are best for us. God, however, makes the plans. God knows what's best for us. I need Him. I need Him to direct me. Jesus said in John 15, verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. Everyone abides in me. My Father abides in Him. We need God for connection. I need God on my side. I need God with me. I need a, a connection with God. I need to have a way of saying, you and I have a relationship. I need connection because in that connection with God, there is meaning. I am connected to this earth with gravity, and it holds me here. And therefore, a connection with God would seem to me to be like spiritual gravity. It keeps me grounded in the things that are good and proper for eternity. God is a connection that I need. I need God. And for any one of us to say, do I need this bench. 
well, I don't need this bench. We could sit on the floor. Do I need this coat? I don't need this coat. But they have a purpose, and I need them for the purposes that I have. And if I have a spiritual life, then I need to understand that I need God for the purpose that He wants me to have for eternity. So yes, I need God. So now third, how will I be there for God? I want you to turn back to our text this morning in Isaiah 43. This morning we noticed in Isaiah that God began that chapter saying that I'll be there, Israel. No matter what you go through, no matter what's happening, I'm going to be there. God will be there for you. Now as he gets on into the chapter following verse 7, he makes this oration about who he is. I am God. There is no other God like me. After me there will be no other God who will ever be formed or created. I am God. And he spends a number of verses saying, here is who I am. I am God. And basically, don't you forget it. And after God said, I'll be there for you, Israel, the God who created everything, formed everything, owns everything, the one who is God superior to all other beings, he then says, starting in verse 22, if you'll go there with me, he begins to tell Israel what their problem is. And I want to suggest to you that by noticing what he says to Israel, Israel here, we are noticing what it means to be there for God. Because he's going to tell Israel, here are the problems that I have with you. In other words, I'll always be there for you, but you haven't been there for me. What's that mean? Number one, to be there for God means talk to Him. You have not called upon me, O Jacob. I went off to college. And I used to hear my dad say, Well, son, you, uh, you hadn't talked to me in a long time. Well, he was right. I mean, come on. I was away from home having a time of my life. But Dad just wants to talk. I remember him telling me about his dad as he got older and in the last years of his life he was fighting cancer. And, and my dad said to his dad, you can always call me. And I can always call you. And that's how it is with parents, isn't it, when you're away from them? You can always call them. And not only that, they want you to. They want you to call them. God looked at Israel and said, you've not been there for me because you don't even call me. If you want to be there for God, 
Talk to him. Number two, and you have been weary of me, O Israel. Speak up for him. Speak up for him. If, if Israel had gotten so tired of God, you think they're going to talk to their neighbors about him? If Israel was tired of God, are they going to teach their children about him? They're tired. They're weary. He's worn them out. They don't want to have this burden of spirituality, maybe. God says, if you want to be there for me, speak up for me. We are there for God. When we speak up for God everywhere we are. I have been fascinated and impressed and happy about the reactions that I've been getting to that mask that I was given that simply says, Jesus loves you. And I wear it around town, and I love what people say. I love what people do. I, I love to watch the reactions when people read it. And I know it's making an impression. Sometimes I think it might be a negative one, but it's making an impression. And though my mouth is covered, that mask is speaking up for God. If you're not tired of God, if you want to be there for God, speak up for Him. Teach your children. Speak of him to your friends and neighbors, both in words and in actions. And in that way, you'll be there for God. Number three, honor him with a gift. You have not brought me the sheep for your burnt offerings, nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. I have not caused you to serve with grain offerings, nor wearied you with incense. You have brought me no sweet cane with money, nor have you satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. Israel was not there for God because they didn't give him a gift. How's it feel, children, if your parents forget your birthday? They never mention it. They never say anything about it. They just forget. How would that make you feel? I think parents are the same way, aren't they? We're not selfish people, but we want people to remember us, right? The guys I'm playing golf with tomorrow on my birthday for 36 holes, I'm playing 36 holes like I do on my birthday. I put out a text to them who were coming and I said, it'd be a great birthday present if you let me beat you. But I said, it'd be an even greater birthday present if I beat you. The point is, don't we want to be remembered? God says, you want to be there for me? Honor me with a gift. Number four, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me 
with your iniquities. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. You want to be there for God? Don't make him sad. I know too many parents whose children have made them sad. I can't even imagine what it would be like to raise a child to know the Lord. And then to see that child leave God. I can't imagine what it would be like. I don't know what I would do. I, I don't know how I would react when the child wants to come to my house for Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving is about, thank you, God, and he has left God. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Don't make God sad. If you want to know whether you're there for him or not, don't make him sad. Because when we sin, when we mess up, I think God is sad. Verse 26, remember him. Put me in remembrance. Don't forget them. Don't push them off on the side. Don't overlook them. Don't think they are unimportant. Don't think about your parents that way or your friends or your family or those you value. Remember them. That's how you're there for them. And God says the same thing. Remember me. He has already said, I'll be there. Now he says, remember me when you're living your life. Maybe the instruction fits more when things are good. A lot of people remember God when things are bad. Oh, we've had, we've had leaders of our country telling us to pray with respect to this coronavirus. And those same leaders turn right around And spit in the face of God when they make laws that uphold ungodly and immoral things. Put God in remembrance. And when things are good, remember Him. You're going to remember Him when things are bad because you need Him. But at the time when you think you don't need Him and things are good, God says, be there for me by remembering me. Finally, will you be there for God? God says, here's how you can do it. Admit when you're wrong. Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. How many times has a parent said to a child, okay, just tell me the truth. Just tell me the truth. In fact, If you tell me the truth, the punishment will still be there, but it won't be near as bad as if you lie to me because I'm going to find the truth. You want to be there for God? Just admit it when you're wrong. Don't try to run around. Don't try to hide. Don't try to explain it. Just say, God, I messed up. 
Today, our subject has been faithfulness. God will be there for you. The only question is, will you be there for God? God is faithful. Will you? Will I? Will we be faithful? I hope today has been helpful thinking about this great theme, be there as faithfulness. As always, if there's something we can do to help you, if there's a way we can be involved in your life through prayer, through interaction, through study, through person-to-person study, online study, there's all kinds of ways that we can still work together during this time. Let us know, and we're glad to do that. Thank you for joining us tonight, and may God bless our country. May God bless our church. May God bless each one of us to be faithful. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.